Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS Podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's Medical Director. I'm here with our fantastic co-hosts, Dr. Sajid Bakta and Dr. Patil Armenian. Hi, everyone. Hello. And today we have a great guest, Mr. Justin Belk. Hi. Today we're going to be talking about ectopic pregnancy. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of Americans' family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. So Justin, thank you for being on the podcast with us today. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me. I've been in EMS about six years. Uh, I started as an EMT in, down in Tulare County where I live. I worked for a couple companies down there. Um, got my blue card last year and then decided it was time for bigger and better. So came up here and I've been paramedic with American about since September of last year. So loving it. Fantastic. Well, tell us about your case. Yeah. So this case was in January of this year. It was here in Fresno. It was our first call of the day. We logged on, got it as priority three. Just sick person was our only dispatch note. So not much to go on with that, but we, we got to the scene and then we were met at the front door by the patient's husband. He said, yeah, you know, my wife's really sick. She's in the back room here. You know, her stomach's really hurting her. She's been vomiting. And we took her to urgent care yesterday. And they told her she has a UTI, gave her some medications, but she's still really sick. So, you know, it's important to point out, like, with these complaints that are lower acuity, abdominal pain, vomiting, it's so easy to get complacent. And this was in the the middle of our last big COVID wave with, you know, policy 571 in full effect, where we would assess and refer patients. And Already, I hadn't even seen this patient. That's already what I was thinking, you know. So anyway, we make our way back to the patient and we find a younger female. She's lying on the floor on her right side, kind of guarding her abdomen. You know, general impression, she didn't look like she was super sick, didn't look like she was dying. She was kind of, her face was grimacing um, and she was kind of guarding her abdomen. Skin was warm, pink and dry. Capillary refill was good. She wasn't like writhing around in pain or anything. She was just saying... You know, she looked like she was in pain. So I really wanted to get to the bottom of this and find out why, you know, she was diagnosed with the UTI yesterday, but is now calling 911, you know. So the more I talked to her, the more it kind of felt like there was a little bit something more going on here. She said she had severe pain in her right side of her abdomen that radiates kind of around like the front of her abdomen and around the right side of her back, down through her groin and up to her right shoulder. Um, she also complained of some vomiting and constipation. And, uh, she said that when she went to urgent care yesterday, her only complaint was of painful urination. So they said she had a UTI, sent her home with macrobid and some pain medication. Um, and then later that night is when the abdominal pain and vomiting started. Initially her vital signs were fine. She was like 100s over 70s blood pressure. All her other vitals were totally fine. Um, but just based on the fact that she was concerned enough to call again after she had already been diagnosed and, and treated, I, I thought maybe it's probably a better idea to just get her transported and find out what's going on. Um, so as we're moving out of the house, we take a second set of vitals, and now her blood pressure is down to like 90s over 60s. Um, so 
We load her up and we start transporting. As soon as we get moving, she starts vomiting. Um, I followed nausea vomiting protocol, put an IV in her cardiac monitor, tried to give her Zofran, but she didn't want it. She refused to take it. So we just kind of did our thing. I wasn't thinking, hate to admit it, I wasn't thinking anything OB, so I didn't ask those specific questions. You know, I didn't ask her last menstrual um, period or anything like that. I just asked if there was any possibility she might be pregnant, which she said no. And she, I also asked if she had any bleeding or discharge, to which she also told me no initially, but then later on told the doctor that she was actually having some bleeding. And I noticed that she was having some rebound tenderness as we would hit the bumps and stuff like that. She was kind of wincing more. So everything was fine. Transported to the hospital, dropped her off. Um, went about our day, transported another patient back to that same hospital several hours later. And that's when the doctor or the uh, nurse found me and my partner. And she was like, yeah, you know, sure enough, this patient had a ruptured ectopic pregnancy and was taken straight into surgery. So big, big lesson for me, you know, do your due diligence. Don't just write it off as a abdominal pain. You know, I'm glad I had that call. It's a great case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And good job for trusting your Spidey sense, or, you know, your, your sense that something was wrong and for taking the patient seriously and treating her appropriately. Yeah. Good yeah, job. Thank you. And she had the cool physical exam findings of the referred shoulder pain. You know, you get that with the free um, blood in the abdomen. And so it's really cool that your case had that, but it just shows how you easily probably could have blown her off, especially in the height of COVID and said, Hey, your, your vitals are stable. You know, Absolutely. you have a UTI, please take your antibiotics. <laughs> Then the next call would have been, you know, a blood pressure of 50, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. <laughs> and she's worse. So that's a great case. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great example to not anchor on somebody else's diagnosis, too. Mm -hmm. Just to always have your eyes open and absorb that fresh information. And as we'll talk about later, these young women may not even know they're pregnant or maybe really early in their pregnancy and they can still have ruptured ectopic pregnancies. Yeah, she might not have missed her period yet or might not have known that. And so not that she's lying, but just doesn't know. Right. It's a great case. Well, thanks for coming in today Thank and sharing so that case with coming. us. Thank, Thank you. you guys for having me. Appreciate it. All right, Saja, why don't you kick us off with the introduction about ectopic pregnancy? So an ectopic pregnancy is any pregnancy in which the embryo implants itself anywhere outside of the endometrium. This occurs in about 1% to 2% of all pregnancies and up to 4% in IVF pregnancies or in vitro fertilization pregnancies. The most common site is the fallopian tube, the so-called tubal pregnancy, which accounts for about 90% of all ectopic pregnancies. But there are other sites of implantation, that might include the cervix or the vagina, the ovary, a C-section scar on the uterus, or even intra-abdominal. There are case reports of retroperitoneal, omental, bowel, hepatic, or even splenic implantations of embryos. There's even a phenomenon called the heterotopic pregnancy, in which there are two embryos, one in the uterus and one outside of the uterus. There are a few different risk factors for developing an ectopic pregnancy, First and foremost is a history of a previous ectopic pregnancy. Also, history of fallopian tube surgery, a history of pelvic inflammatory disease, sexually transmitted diseases, endometriosis, in vitro fertilization, or being on fertility medications like clomiphene, also increased maternal age. The overall incidence may be rare, but hemorrhagic ectopic pregnancies are the leading cause of pregnancy-related death for women in their first trimester. And remember, a woman of childbearing age can be anywhere from age 13 to age 50. 
There also can be ectopic pregnancies, even in patients who are using contraception. Oral contraceptive pills, shots, or implantable devices all have very low overall rates of conceiving, but in those small percentages, less than 1% of patients who are getting adequate contraception, they can conceive, and when they do, they have higher rates of ectopic pregnancies. In a study of over 44,000 patients undergoing tubal ligation in Western Australia from 1990 to 2010, 89 had a subsequent ectopic pregnancy. So even having a tubal ligation doesn't mean you have a 0% chance of conceiving. It's very small, but it's possible. And we need to think about this in all our patients. Um, So let's get into some of the pathophysiology and presentation of these cases. Now, um, first off, the fallopian tube acts as a passage for eggs traveling from the ovary to the uterus. And there are a bunch of reasons why the embryo might implant in the fallopian tube. Now, movement of the egg through the tube relies on cilia, or these really small hair-like structures that brush the egg from one side to the other, as well as smooth muscle contraction in the walls of the fallopian tube. Now, let's say if somebody has had previous surgery on that fallopian tube or has been smoking for many years, the cilia and the smooth muscles may be damaged. Inflammation and tube damage can also occur in the setting of recent infection, uh, specifically inflammation caused by the chlamydia bacteria. The most common presentation for an ectopic pregnancy is vaginal bleeding in the first trimester with or without abdominal pain. Um, Now, the extent of bleeding should be determined. So, for example, is the patient passing blood clots or is the blood soaking through her clothes? Do they feel lightheaded? Do they have significant pelvic pain or cramping? Have they passed any tissue? And if the patient is answering yes to any of these questions, then ectopic pregnancy and early pregnancy loss are much more likely diagnoses than other causes. Now, it is also important to remember that the presence of only light, intermittent, painless bleeding does not actually exclude the possibility of an ectopic pregnancy. Midline pain is more consistent with early pregnancy loss, um, otherwise known as a miscarriage, while lateralizing pain is more consistent with ectopic pregnancy because typically it's either going to be in the left or right fallopian tube. Now remember, since this is early in pregnancy, a woman may not even know she's pregnant yet especially because normal pregnancy hormones like estrogen, progesterone, HCG may be secreted at lower levels than in intrauterine pregnancies. Now, the reason why we're talking about this is because of what can happen. The most serious complication associated with ectopic pregnancies is rupture. And this is when the embryo begins to outgrow the space it occupies, typically in the fallopian tube. And this causes the tube to burst and causes internal hemorrhage or internal bleeding. Even in the setting of significant internal bleeding, in a young healthy woman, vital signs may still be normal because of a lot of compensatory mechanisms. Now, some women may present with syncope, headache, or even shoulder pain. Um, CARES sign specifically is left shoulder pain caused by free fluid in the peritoneum, which causes diaphragmatic irritation. I also had a case recently of a, I think, early 20s woman who came to the emergency department with a headache. And she said she'd been pregnant for three months and she hadn't yet had an ultrasound, but she wasn't too concerned about it. She was more concerned about her headache. And we thought that we should probably, you know, explore a little bit more about her pregnancy. 
And it turned out that while she had been stable initially, while she was waiting in the emergency department for her ultrasound, she became very sick and she began to have significant worsening of her headache and began to also have abdominal pain. And she eventually went to the operating room and was found to have a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. But her initial presentation was just a headache. And she hadn't had any confirmation of her pregnancy yet, but she was just three months gestation. Yeah, it's like one of those things you always have to be thinking about, especially if someone is pregnant or can be pregnant. Now, if somebody is, let's say, fine, just like what you're describing, they're kind of doing okay with some other complaint, then all of a sudden they have this sudden onset of severe abdominal or pelvic pain, then that's when you should consider the actual rupture of the ectopic pregnancy. And this may be accompanied by signs of hemodynamic compromise, for example, feeling faint or actually syncopizing, hypotension, tachycardia. And these are, you know, normally healthy young women. So for them to actually become hypotensive or tachycardic indicates a really massive blood loss, and those patients should be taken seriously. And then sometimes the trickiest thing happens, which is after the initial rupture, the pain starts to subside a little bit. And so then you think they're doing okay, but actually they're still bleeding into their peritoneum. And this is a perfect time where sometimes you know, they have terrible pain, they activate the EMS system, a paramedic comes on scene, and then the young female says, you know, I feel much better. I'm okay. I feel okay now. But then maybe their blood pressure is really soft. They have a blood pressure 80. Think in your mind, just remember that differential is still there. In a young woman of childbearing age, she might not even know she's pregnant and she could have ruptured. Let's jump to the management. As always, we're going to start with our ABCs. Again, ruptured ectopic pregnancies can present all the way from minimally symptomatic to hemodynamically unstable. So if you do have a patient that is hemodynamically unstable, you're going to start two large bore IVs and you're going to start IV fluids. You're going to treat any pain or nausea. And if your system allows, you may consider administration of blood in the setting of hypotension. Remember for females, we consider O negative blood. And as an aside, we also consider the RH type in any vaginal bleeding. If the mother has RH negative blood type, her body can produce antibodies against the RH positive antigen. And this is especially dangerous if the fetus is carrying RH positive blood. So we actually administer RHD immunoglobulin, commonly known as Rogram, to prevent sensitization of the mother to a potential life-threatening antibody response against the fetus. Let's jump to the SEMSA protocol for atopic pregnancy, and actually there isn't one, and most EMS systems do not have one, and this is because atopic pregnancy reminds me of PE, it can present as anything. So atopic pregnancy, it could be vaginal bleeding, could be their presenting complaint, it could be syncope, could be abdominal pain, could just be nausea and vomiting, or I don't feel well, or they could be non-traumatic shock. And so I think the hardest part for the pre-hospital professional is to know, is atopic pregnancy what's causing this woman's complaint? Um, Patio, kick us off with the hospital management. What do we do in the hospital? So in the hospital, one of the first things we'll do is we'll put our own ultrasound really quickly on the belly to see if there's free fluid and to diagnose the ectopic pregnancy itself. Initially, we're really trying to diagnose it and to actually stabilize them. Now, once you know that there is an ectopic pregnancy, um, depending on the patient and how stable they are, um, we're going to do different things. 
Now, if the ectopic pregnancy is ruptured, by definition, that's going to be an unstable patient that's going to need surgical management. If it's not ruptured and they have normal vital signs, then we're going to kind of go down the path of treating them like a stable ectopic pregnancy. Just so everybody knows, we're doing this in conjunction with our obstetricians. Um, these are people that need really close follow-up and close care, and so we're not handling this by ourselves. Now, for a stable patient, um, often methotrexate is used in the medical management of an ectopic pregnancy. Methotrexate is a dihydrofolate reductase inhibitor, which means it disrupts DNA and RNA synthesis. And so this means that rapidly dividing cells kind of can no longer divide. And in an ectopic pregnancy, it's basically disrupting trophoblastic tissue and it's preventing cell division. So it can't really grow anymore. Now, one dose of methotrexate prevents the need for surgery in 85% of cases when the HCG level is less than 5,000. And so that means less than 5,000 means that's very early on in pregnancy. So if this happens pretty early on, just one dose is actually pretty successful. Now, let's say you're transporting someone and you're asking them what medications they're on. If you hear methotrexate, then I would say ask if they're on it for an ectopic pregnancy. And that's somebody that I would err on the side of transport because that means they're already being treated for a potentially life-threatening condition. There are different techniques for surgical management of these cases. One is a salpingotomy, which is cutting the fallopian tube and removing the embryo. And the other is a salpingectomy, which is completely removing the fallopian tube. These are decisions that the obstetrician gynecologists will make when they're in the operating room caring for these patients. And you see a lot more of this medical management nowadays because we want to preserve this young woman's fertility for the future, and they really don't want to be cutting their tubes and causing more scar tissue, which would increase their topic risk in the future, and they don't want to be removing their tubes. So you see a lot more patients going home on methotrexate for hope of stopping um, and then with close follow-up. I think EMS gets involved a lot, you know, someone sent home methotrexate and then it could still rupture. So then they have abdominal pain, they have syncope. So I think in your mind, if you have anyone tells you they either have an atopic pregnancy or on methotrexate, be really suspicious for this life-threatening bleeding that you can't see, unfortunately, it's going on inside their abdomen. Let's go through some summary take-home points. What do we want everyone to know about atopic pregnancy? I think we should think about this diagnosis in any woman of childbearing age presenting with abdominal pain but also they could present with any complaint. So be wary of this diagnosis. Patil. And just to know that ectopic pregnancies are a big deal and ruptured ectopics are the leading cause of pregnancy-related death in the first trimester. I like to remind you that if you have a patient that presents in non-traumatic shock or in syncope, you know, the first thing we think about in the hospital with these patients is a if they're a female, it's a pregnancy test and an EKG. And so I want you in the field to think the same thing. If someone has syncope or shock, you want to get that EKG. And of course, you can't get that pregnancy test in the field, but you could ask them any chance you could be pregnant um, or just keep that on your differential. So thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at 
podcast at AmericanAmbulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at AmericanAmbulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast, produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.